All right. All right, it's running. Hello, everyone. My name is Sanjay, and I'm the host of My Last Joint Podcast. Okay, another episode. This one's slightly different. I've got with me here Samantha. Now, I've spoken originally with Samantha, I think it was almost four or five weeks ago, um, and we kind of went back and forth, and then she told me that she started her own blog on uh, Substack, I think is the medium. And I was really surprised because not only that she is being consistent, some of her posts are very, very um, in-depth. Um, so I said, I'm going to get her on the podcast. I'm going to share her story. And hopefully some more people get to see her blog as well. So Samantha, a little bit longer intro, but hello. Hello. I answer. Hey, so, all righty. So how it all started, you know my podcast, you know how I like to do things here. How it all started for you, where does your story with perhaps marijuana start, or if you even want to go a little bit earlier, and um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I binge-watch or binge-listen to your podcast, so I've heard a lot of these stories, and this mine, I started the first time I smoked weed, I was 15, and I was in my hometown in California, it's a real hippie town, and uh, I was just hanging out downtown with a friend and she I don't, I don't even know if i mentioned it or she mentioned it but somehow she was like oh you've never smoked weed i'm like yeah i've never smoked weed and then she said you know do you want to i'm like sure because <laughs> i like trying new things and uh so then we got some weed from some hippies on hippie corner and uh smoked some weed in the lawn and behind a church <laughs> and then like Ended up getting caught by some people in the church, but like we just went in the church and talked to them. It was pretty, <laughs> pretty interesting. Um, at least, I mean, that was a long time ago. That's what I remember. And I remember taking the bus home and being like, I was really stoned. Uh, I knew how to inhale. I think that might make the difference when some people, like you hear the stories of people, they smoke weed the first couple times, they don't get high, but I got really high and I liked it. And, um, but that was, I mean, I was a, um, I was born in the '80s. So when I took health in high school, my freshman year, they told us weed is not physically addictive, but it's psychologically addictive. So, like that's what I was taught. You know? So I wasn't really worried. Like I was terrified of a lot of other drugs um, when I was younger because of. I, I don't want to become, a, you know, all those other drugs sounded really scary to me, but like I literally was taught, oh, it's just psychologically addictive. Um, luckily, I couldn't really get access to it much uh, for a while. So I smoked, I mean, I just didn't really want to like try to find a dealer, you know, like it's just not, <laughs> I did eventually. So in, in high school, I smoked a little bit with some friends, you know, when it was offered or at a party. And same in college, but um, I really, I wasn't able to get my own supply until there was one guy in our department who I found out eventually that he was a dealer. So I went to his house once. I always like to like think about that as compared to going to the weed shop now that it's legal. Because it was like he just had one jar of weed and he'd let out some weed from his one jar of weed. Whereas like the weed shops now... There's like a million different things, <laughs> different ways of having weed. You know, there's like the concentrates, the wax, 
I don't even use all that stuff. But um, so for a little while, I had my own supply. But th- then I moved to grad school in Colorado, and I didn't have any way to get weed as a grad student. <laughs> um, so, which is great because I, you know, able to get my PhD in a STEM field without letting weed keep me from getting done what I would have needed to do, which I'm, it might have. I definitely um, liked it when I had it. You know, there were a few times that someone had at a party, I'd smoke it, but yeah, it just, it wasn't really, uh, big problem until like well it started even when it was medically legal for medical purposes people would have their cards and and get it like there's i mean the medical thing like it's great for people that really need it but it's definitely not just medical reasons that people are smoking it for them even when it was just legal medically so i got you know a little more from some friends who had like their medical cards so then I kind of started to smoke more often, um, but usually more with people. And then, uh, and then it became legal for recreational use in uh, 2014. I think it was January 1st, and I I was there the first day. <laughs> like okay. we were going snowboarding, and we stopped. There was like a long line, and we got our first legal weed, and uh, yeah, and then it got. I was probably smoking more than I should have, but I didn't really think of it as a problem for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I was eventually when I was going through this really rough time with a, a really an abusive relationship that I was trying to get out of. And I don't want to go into all the personal, like, it's pretty, I, I talk more about it on the blog, but um Mm-hmm. basically i decided to use weed to escape I, I i made that decision i was like i can't handle this i don't know what to do i'm trying to get out i know i need to get out but until i can i thought at least at the time that it would do less damage to my psyche to just basically check out and just be high whenever i was around him mm-hmm. and i guess you know it it worked eventually i did get out of that relationship but i really think that's that when I that was sort of click something in my brain where I I I don't think I could ever I mean I knew before then I was still using it more than I should have but that's when I think I don't think I can ever go back smoking weed again because after that I just something that became the thing in my brain and then every time life was hard I I went back to using it as an escape mm-hmm. um and so yeah I mean there was. I did actually quit for a few months uh, when I was going through divorcing that um, that abuser, and that was actually I, w- I did pretty good. But then I relapsed. I, I don't know. You hear this about alcohol and weed too? Like sometimes the first time you quit, like it goes really well, and then you relapse, and then you're just like every time after that, it's much harder <laughs> until you finally hit the the final one um but yeah I, after that relapse then it's been off and off again on again for it's been a few years now um like uh, 20 2018 2019 beginning of 2019 so yeah it's been like four years <laughs> but i've at least been trying you know it's hard like i think you know too that's why i was really like i found your podcast 
very, you know, effective for me because your story sounded a lot like mine in terms of like, you wanted to quit and you kept failing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe that's really common. <laughs> I don't really know. But um, it's just, it, yeah, it gets in your head when you keep failing like that. And yeah. it's like you stop, you stop having hope that you can do it. And um, it just like kind of feel. And then it's hard too because I was kind of, I think the difference I'm making now is like telling people. Because when I was stuck in that loop, um, I didn't really want to tell anyone, yeah, I'm quitting weed because I was like, yeah, how long is that going to last? <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> um, but now I'm like making more of a public, like having the blog and mm. um, telling my husband and telling my friends and um, people are being very supportive. So that's great. And yeah, I think I really feel like this time I'm going to beat it. <laughs> so. Awesome. I feel great. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Kind of going back, and if you don't mind me asking or exploring a little bit. So, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you started when you were 15. And then would you say you ramped up your use later on, perhaps in your 20s? Or was that not the case? Was that until until your, your boyfriend, the abusive relationship, the kind of... Um, I would say, I mean, there was just a short time, like basically I was limited by supply because I didn't have a dealer. Mm-hmm. So when, when I did find, I ha- I did buy like an eighth a couple times from the guy in college. So for that time, I was using more than previously because mm-hmm. I had it around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't really smoking alone then. And then later when it became legal, then... I smoked more, more like daily, but not like all the time, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's a different, daily is bad enough, but then more than once a day, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's so, I mean, where things got, yeah. yeah, I guess my question would be, at what point would you say your use became problematic for you? Okay, in your own view, when would you say that this became problematic? Well, in my view now, honestly, mm-hmm. like, as soon as it became legal, I started using it in the, to try to sleep better, mm-hmm. which I don't think is good for me. Like, cause it's, I'll talk about that later, but it's not like if you use it for sleep. It's not actually really helping you <laughs> at least. Um, but so I did, I think from my perspective now, it was problematic as soon as I had access to as much as I wanted. And then I I, I kind of used it as a crutch for like sleep and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I recognized it myself at the time when, yeah, when I was um, going through the, the um, abusive relationship and, and I just, I, I knew I'm like, this isn't good to use this as an escape, but I need to do something. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. And I was really isolated. I mean, that's like really common thing in abusive relationships. Yeah. It's like I, isolating you from your support network so absolutely and i felt yeah mm-hmm. and i think and, and i think you brought a very valid point and it's definitely something a lot of us um are or have been using wheat for is to deal with um with difficult emotions right and that's the um you know that's the main reason i think a lot of people have problems quitting after all because You've got to face the emotions, but 
my question would be, would you say at that point, and you know, if you're not comfortable sharing too much about that situation in regards to abusive relationship you were on, would you say that you consciously used it because of that? Or now looking back, you might have been using it because of that? Oh, I consciously used it. Mm-hmm. I I decided I like it was a conscious decision. I was like, mm-hmm. this is just because I was sort of flirting with quitting at that point. Like I was trying to I was trying to limit my use. But mm-hmm. then when I realized like this situation sucks, I don't know what to do. And this guy's nuts. <laughs> I don't know how to get out of this. And I can't let him hurt me anymore. So like that that was sort of my way of kind of checking out my brain from from my from my actual like position in the world and i just decided i don't care i mean i literally i bought i never bought more than an eighth before that and i was at the weed store and i bought like a entire half half an ounce i guess i don't know if you guys even use the same um you guys probably don't use ounces (laughs) we do well yeah we we do dealers will sell you an ounce Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, we have grams here too, but like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Typically, it was like I would buy an eighth at the most. But at that point, I was like, I'm gonna buy a half. I'm gonna smoke as much as I need to to just check out. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And I did eventually get out of the situation. But and it's, I'm grateful that at some point I had to recognize it was a problem and get off of it. Because even before I recognized, like I said. From where I am now, I recognize that it was a problem before I was able to recognize it at that time, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm still glad, like, I'm not glad that I went through all that. I don't, it's hard because you have to be, you have to accept where you are in life. <laughs> and that yeah. means accepting what's happened. Exactly. Um, even if I wouldn't have chosen it. But I'm glad that I eventually had to, to make decide to get off weed and quit weed. Wish I had quit sooner but that's can't do anything about that yeah, yeah. so kind of looking back i mean how long has it been for you now i know you've you've quit um so how long has it been for you now since you've quit oh uh, i quit on uh the last bit of weed i had i was actually at a party the night before easter and my friend had a vape and i thought it was a nicotine vape so i was gonna have some and then she's like oh it's weed and i was like she's like you want some and I was kind of like, oh, I know I need to quit, but I'm like, I'm at a party. I'll enjoy it. I didn't I didn't even really feel it. Like, I didn't have mm-hmm. that much. So I don't count that because I had weed that day. That was, I think I hadn't had it for a couple of days before that. But then really the next day I was like, okay, now I need to like, if that happens again, say no. Tell them I quit. You know, I'm not like, I know that. Yeah, because I had had um, a year ago or a little over a year ago. I had quit and that's when I really felt like the joy of sobriety because <laughs> mm-hmm. I quit and I was like doing this productivity class. I was really focused at work. I was like getting focusing on getting good, like sober sleep. And I felt so much better during the day after having a full night of like real sober sleep. And then I could like focus at work, work hard, which I mean, I, I'm in science because I love science. So I want to do a good job and I want to achieve. Um, but I certainly 
um, do better at that when I'm not using weed. I mean, I know I don't use weed at work. I would be stupid to do that. Like I would hurt myself or break something or mm-hmm. whatever. But um, even just like because it sticks around in your body so long, you know. I mean, you know, or anyone who's quit knows. Like even when you're not stoned, you you feel better sober mm-hmm. than you do when you're not stoned while you're generally smoking weed off and on. You know, mm-hmm. or daily, or you know. I mean, I I don't know what the time frame is. I remember you had a an episode where you were reading from a thing, and they said like six weeks, even like between. Uh, yeah, so it's a kind of a the the general consensus is about six weeks. So I mean, as far as as far as THC leaving your body, I mean, I've seen people um, posting results of their drug test up to sixty five or even seventy days with the THC still in their body. Um, wow. But as far as this phase, kind of you know going through, I guess, the withdrawals, um, whether they're actually physical or physiological, um, withdrawals that six weeks there. Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, even now, so I'm like 30, uh, I, my phone is in a pack of rice right now because I dropped it in the hot tub the other day. So I can't look, I have an app where I'm tracking, you know, the days to like uh-huh. keep the chain, you know, mm-hmm. like keep me inspired. So it's, I don't know, whatever it is, it's like probably 32, 33 now. Um, but like, I feel so good now compared to, you know, before that. So it's definitely, and I, I think it took almost the 30 days really though, to start to really, especially with my sleep, like I'm starting to get my sleep back on track. Um, and yeah, I'm just feeling really good. And I really, I'm so glad that, I'm doing this for real now and I'm going to stick with it and like I'm dedicated and I hope that more people that are feeling that way uh, can can do it too and, and be successful because I mean it is hard right and especially as someone who's like an achiever overachiever type person like to go through that failure repeated mm-hmm. failure like wanting so much to quit but like failing failing repeatedly and it's like i went through this where i knew okay there's like this addict brain in my head that's always going to tell me like oh you can smoke weed just this one time oh it's okay you can moderate look it's cool you can have weed this one time and then you just won't smoke it tomorrow it's you know the addict brain will tell you whatever it needs to to try to convince you to, mm-hmm. that you should smoke weed or you should drink a drink or whatever it is you're um addicted to but and i knew that you know it's like but i kept listening to it <laughs> yeah yeah mm, absolutely um samantha you mentioned earlier very interesting and i you know i'm quite vocal about this um perhaps it wasn't so much from the beginning but i'm definitely vocal last few months about the support system you surround yourself with um Perhaps you can talk a little bit more about this, but also if there were some other aspects um, of your quitting journey that were different from the attempts before. Um, with other words, what would you say you did differently? Re- you did um, recently different, and um, why would you say this time 
you feel like that's it. That's the last one. <laughs> well, I listened to your entire uh, podcast selection. <laughs> so that helps. <laughs> I highly recommend that if anyone's listening and they're in that early, especially that first few weeks where you're really um, going through all the withdrawal. I mean, if anyone who is listening, um, well, especially women or anyone with a higher body fat percentage is going to take longer to clear the THC from their system because it goes into your fat cells. Mm. So I think for me, it took quite a few weeks before I started to really feel better. Mm. And I was like going for walks and listening to your podcast uh, and definitely starting the blog helped. Um, I had been seeing a sobriety coach, uh, but I haven't seen him in a couple of weeks. Um, I might do that again. It's just things got really busy and I've been, you know, if I, if I feel like I'm struggling, I'm definitely going to go back to that because um, I don't, I just don't want to go back to smoking weed ever again. Um, so that, that's definitely something that's helpful. And I had heard that on another podcast, uh, the option of a sobriety coach. So that's definitely something to look into because then having, I think that's part of it is just like, even meetings, like if you just go to a meeting and you're kind of like quiet and you sit there and listen. Um, I, I I went to a couple of different types of meetings on like Zoom um, and, and they could be helpful, but it's like the, the coach is different because it's like a one on one person that's like your your coach, you know, just kind of like with sports, but for sobriety. <laughs> so I thought I thought that was really helpful, and there was um, program here in Colorado that they offer that for free mm-hmm. through like grant funding. So if anyone's in Colorado, check it out. Um, there's sobriety coaching. And do you wanna do you wanna perhaps uh, share um, some more information? I'm sure we got some listeners from what, Loretta. What was there? Um, I think it's. I'm trying to remember the name of the program. It's like. I mean, if you got the name of the program, I mean, is it is this specifically for all um, for marijuana? No, it's all substances. Gosh, okay, sure. all right. I'm, I can I'm give with you the link. Okay. I can give you the link for the show notes later. Just remind me. But yeah, I um, and they might. I, it's. I think it's funded through a national grant, so I don't know if it's available in other states. In okay. The US. Um, but yeah, that was that's helpful, and they're you know, going through with you like your reasons and you know just supporting you as a on a one-to-one basis Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely okay kind of kind of moving forward so here's something i often hear and i'm you know i kind of made up my mind a while ago but it's still i still get every now and then i get a person on and and perhaps even a client on that asked me about this or kind of we we discussed this so would you say there's such a thing as a high-functioning stoner, right? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, how would you say, if you think it did in any way whatsoever, weed affected your performance? Um, and I think we got a great opportunity now coming from someone who works in, um, you know, science department or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. So I I don't know. I mean, I... I think they're, they're, I don't, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I guess for a while I was like, 
high functioning stoner. Okay, I don't. I'm trying to say this without sounding like egotistical, but like <laughs> I was high functioning, like probably compared to like maybe the average person smoking weed a mm. lot as much as I was smoking weed like the average other person mm. smoking weed as much as I was smoking weed I was not high functioning as much as I can be like if I'm the best me I can be I don't think I was um but I thought I was because it's sort of like oh well at least it helps me sleep um you know it's mm-hmm. it's like you know and when I'm having insomnia I'm also not <laughs> not mm. the best um there's a lot of, I mean, I'm, when I'm going through uh, emotional things, even if I weren't smoking weed, it would still be hard. Mm-hmm. But life just gets in the way a lot of the times. But I do think I I did my best. Like, I, I was still dedicated and working hard, but my brain wasn't functioning at its full capacity. And I... I wish I hadn't done that, but it's too late now. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, I, I'm, thank God I didn't do it in, in my PhD. Like that's, you know, I barely smoked weed when I was a grad student and I'm, I'm just so grateful that it wasn't available to me then. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have had the self-control to not, I think there's something about, I mean, it, I think it was triggered to get worse when I, was in that relationship uh but i think i i also have like um adhd i mean i i've never taken medication for it but i definitely have i've taken like a written test from a psychiatrist when i was treating depression and he was like yeah you definitely uh score pretty high Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i know a lot of the other um you've mentioned on the podcast like a lot of other people with ADHD or a check. something about my brain is really like loves weed, you know? yeah. like because I know people that don't like weed. You know, I have several friends. They're like, I don't like weed. Like, no way. Like, you can't make me smoke that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I think for for my brain, like, it was always going to like weed, but it took like a few um, life situations and the ease of access that made me really start to turn into like a cannabis use disorder situation you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm so happy that you mentioned this because you know i absolutely agree with this um thesis you put out so you know i had a good friend in my 20s uh he was older actually he was about eight years older and you know now i'm gonna refer to some of the drugs we we were doing as well but he was one of those people you would never tell he's on anything and he would just be able to function right which I do agree. I do. I do support that thesis. I think you know some people they're just more. Um, what's the word we're looking for? They they just it affects them less than some other people, right? But I think the problem is that your own limits are breached. Your own limits. You will not go to the max using the cannabis. I think that's where the problem is, and that's why I don't necessarily support the high functioning theory because. Yes, in a way, you might be less affected than others, but really, you you're limiting yourself if that makes sense by using yeah. a substance. And I think, and I and and I'm I'm happy that you mentioned this because I completely support that theory, and that's that's kind of what my 
you know, because you often hear this in arguments, especially on the social media. Hey, but I'm I'm high functioning. I can function. You know, I, the weed doesn't affect me. Um, so yeah, I couldn't believe there was that one lady you interviewed. I could not believe she was getting like death threats because she was fighting against like weed for teenagers. Like her son was a uh, uh, going through problems with weed, and I I don't know if you remember who. Are you well, talking about the uh, um, Parent Action Network, Heidi? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I couldn't believe. I'm like, geez, people send yeah. death threats. Like, that's crazy. I mean, you've people got are a very know. defensive about their weed. Yeah, yeah. I didn't honestly. I didn't understand this. Like, you know, when I started, when I started doing my last joint as well. But the reality is, right? Think. Think, like, imagine that you smoke weed for, let's say, 20, 30 years, right? And then someone comes along and says, what are you doing, what you've been doing for the last 20 years? It's it's crazy. You should stop doing this, right? I'm. It's just people will react very emotionally, right? Yeah. But I've realized, like, doing this, I've realized that people that subconsciously have problems or people that subconsciously perhaps struggle a little bit more, they will go really strong at it, right? Yeah. Um, People that you know smoke occasionally and don't have any problems whatsoever, they will just disregard it. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. She wasn't actually the only person. I, she was. I think Laura um, from uh, Johnny Ambassador. I think she mentioned to, uh, once as well um, that she was getting some uh, some weird messages and stuff. So yeah, that's crazy. I don't believe that. Like, oh yeah, yeah. You um, haven't gotten that right. Pardon. You haven't gotten any like death. No, I I never had, had uh, death threats. I had quite a lot of f u bombs. Uh, I had you know just just a no- normal reaction. By now they are normal, but I haven't had death threats. Um, so yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, you're doing something really good. Like I think it's wonderful that you're doing this podcast because I mean, like I I was looking. It's so hard with weed because of the the whole fact that it's so normalized and it's getting more and more normalized mm-hmm. and at the same time as it's getting more normalized it's getting stronger and more addicting mm-hmm. and so like it's becoming easier to get addicted to and at the same time everyone's like oh it's just weed you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think it's, you know it's a bad combination yeah you know when i first started this podcast i would agree with you and i i do agree with you to a degree i i absolutely agree that he's getting normalized but what i think is that last few months i'm kind of seeing the the change and it's almost like a new wave is coming and i see a lot of young creators like especially on tiktok or youtube um you know even um on facebook every now and then i see someone of people coming up and talking about their experience and talking about how they quit and why um, other people should quit so i think in a way, people like we are waking up a little bit, you know. And I'm sure the fact that the information is now readily available and the social media platform allows in exchange. Um, but yeah, I t- I feel like the 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 tide is almost like changing a little bit, you know. Because I remember when I started doing this, or even when I was heavily smoking and I wanted to quit, like there wasn't much information out there. Like if you wanted to go and search if weed is addictive, you know, you would. Uh, you wouldn't really find much information, you know. But nowadays, it's like it's yeah, it's not it's not that um, 
you know, it's not just uh, a bit of weed anymore. It's actually a substance that is causing psychosis and um, what, you know, what not. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, geez, I'm just so glad I couldn't smoke that much when I was like younger, especially in my like teens and early 20s. Like, mm -hmm. no, I, I, I couldn't. I probably would have if I could have had more if it was legal and easy to get like alcohol was but um I'm really glad I couldn't cuz it's really not good for the developing brain mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think um it's interesting though because like your email recently I was looking up um stuff about weed you know to like prep for our podcast and I found an interesting statistic. I don't know if I can find it. I took some notes here, but basically the uh, prevalence of weed in adults has gone up with legalization, but in teenagers, it actually went down, <laughs> which is interesting because I think like you kind of made the point, like it's just legal. You're giving your money to the government when you buy weed, like for teenagers, it's not as cool anymore. You know? no. yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's a, that's a big factor here because, you know, thinking myself back in when I was, you know, a kid, like what was fun? Like something you couldn't get, something that was illegal, something your parents told you not to get, right? But nowadays, like, you know, I imagine kids, this weed has been so ingrained. I mean, as far as America goes, weed has been so ingrained into the culture. It's it's almost like alcohol. So it's no longer fun to like just be stoned. It's it's you know, it's normal now. It's you can get it anywhere. So I I fairly I think I mean, in my own opinion, I think that's a big reason why a lot of um younger generation is kinda you know, on decline as far as the use goes. Um, yeah, which is good. Yeah, because that's especially who's at most risk from using it. So, mm -hmm. but I'm a little bit interested. Um, I don't know if you still have the numbers for for the statistic you mentioned at the beginning, where you where you actually said that the cannabis use uh, disorder is going up. Okay. Yeah. So, and here's um, okay. So in 2016. Mm -hmm. Estimates of use in the U.S. amongst those 18 or older indicates that past year and past month cannabis use prevalence was 14.1 and 9.1% respectively. This reflects an increase from that observed in 2002 when past year and past, past month prevalence was 10.4 and 6.0. For adolescents, oh, this is what I was just saying, the actual numbers. For adolescents, past year and past month cannabis use prevalence in 2016 was 12 percent and 6.5 percent respectively which reflects a decrease from 15.8 and 8.2 percent respectively in 2012 so that's the difference that's what i was just saying um right. let me see if i can find the thing about um daily among past use cannabis users who are 18 and older the prevalence of daily or near daily cannabis use increased from 31 33.1 percent in 2002 to 43% in 2016, but declined from 29.8. Oh, so this is just daily or near daily use had the same thing where it went up for adults um, and declined for adolescents. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I have specifically on like the prevalence of cannabis use disorder, but I mean, daily or near daily use 
that's probably a good idea. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I did I did find a research. I don't know where it is. It's probably in my folder. I've got a big folder of research, but there was a research about two months or three months ago I found it, and it pretty much says that, you know, the use of marijuana has gone down. Um, however, the uh, the the cannabis use disorder, the actual you know condition um, affecting those that use too much, has gone up. Um, so it's really interesting. It's almost like um, the graph is going completely different direction. Um, but I also think we've got to be, we ought to be a little bit careful because we're still in the early stages. You know, a lot of the states have not legalized it yet. The gene is not out of the bottle yet, and. We haven't, I mean, you know, truthfully, it didn't even arrive here in England, uh, sorry, in Europe, right? I feel like when the Europe is going to be legalized, um, we're going to have much more um, better over you because, you know, just, just the whole conservative approach here will be um, perhaps slightly better than, than over in the States. So, yeah, what's your... In this paper, they actually estimate from various, so it's a it's a huge range um, but from epidemiological data, uh, the majority of users of cannabis don't have problems related to their use, but a substantial subset, 10 to 30%, do report experiencing symptoms and consequences consistent with a cannabis use disorder. So that's a huge range depending on the study and where they looked. This was in the U.S. Uh, I think it was the U.S. I thought this was in the U.S. This might have actually this been worldwide, but that's a huge range but it's also a huge number yeah yeah and then when you legalize it and make it basically available so more people are going to become users if that number stays the same which who knows it might be different because that's if that's a subset of people who used it when it was illegal that might be a completely different sample set than mm -hmm. the people that are going to use it when it's legal absolutely yeah but it's interesting that you mentioned so did you say between 10 and 30 percent yeah, it's actually yeah. A significant increase that I mean I normally kind of um, share. So my my knowledge is usually that it's around ten percent of users will end up having problems, um, as in well, cannabis use disorder. It's a it's a huge range. They mm -hmm. it's different studies. So who yeah, knows absolutely, what? <laughs> absolutely. What the real numbers? Yeah, yeah. Um. So we I mean we agreed. Um. We we agreed when we um emailed each other we said we're going to make it a little bit more interesting and perhaps add some research towards the thc effects on the brain so what do you have for us samantha what is something you found and you want to share okay well first i mean hopefully everyone listening to your podcast already sort of knows the basics but i had i remember just a few years ago when i was really struggling quitting weed and i had still had in my brain that idea like oh, it's not addictive, it's just psychologically addictive. Finally, I started to look up, what is this doing to my brain? And so um, the effects of like THC in the brain, at the molecular level, uh, THC acts as a partial agonist of the CB1 receptor. Um, so that's a receptor of what normally would be endogenous cannabin cannabinoids i can never know if i'm saying that right um mostly anandamide is like the most common uh endogenous can cannabinoid that is usually activating the cb1 receptor but then if you take thc you activate the cb1 receptor um it has two mechanisms i'm not a 
biochemist at all. So I read some of the stuff and I was just kind of like, get this glazed over look because biochemistry, like it gets really, it's complicated. Let's just say, but it has two mechanisms of action. It can act at the G protein level. So that's what then gets activated or uh, it also acts as a potent activator of beta arrestin 2 recruitment and signaling. And so it basically changes the signaling of the neurons that it binds to. Um, and so especially problematic uh, is that it's mainly in your brain. That's why you get a high. It's like the brain, and especially the hippocampus. So that's how we end up sometimes having problems with memory. <laughs> I don't know if you have those. Although I I probably definitely shouldn't have smoked weed because I already have problems with memory before I even smoked weed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and the basal ganglia and cerebellum and neocortex, it's in your, um, it's expressed in your spine. See, the CB1 re- receptor is expressed also in the pituitary gland, thyroid gland, possibly in the adrenal gland, um, uh, it's expressed in some cells involved in metabolism, like fat cells, muscle cells, liver cells, uh, endothelial cells, um, and in the digestive tract, um, the lungs and kidney, and also in sperm <laughs> and uh, ovaries, overducts, myo- myometrium, decidua. I think those are some other parts of the, it's part of the female reproductive system, mm. uh, system and placenta. So it's, all over your body, um, but in particular in your central nervous system and in your brain and spine. And it's activated at, especially at these more potent THC levels, it's just going to be extremely activated compared to what is endogenously, what would have happened from natural highs, like a runner's high. That's actually what I learned on 420 this year is that uh, running is a good like you have all these podcasts where people are like, yeah, I'm working out as like a replacement while I'm getting sober. And that's, it's literally because your brain uh, makes an andamide that binds to the same receptors that normally THC binds to when you run or do some like uh, hard aerobic activity or eat chocolate or um, also get into like a flow state. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the kind of first thing is like what that THC actually does. And then that's just when you're smoking weed once over time, when you keep using weed, then your brain responds to that. Right. So I was actually talking to a friend at work and she's, she just quit caffeine. She actually inspired me to quit caffeine too. But she was talking about like, well, basically if you take anything, any drug that does something in your body, your body's going to respond by trying to get homeostasis and to get back to where it, it normally wants to be. So if you're overactivating this pathway, the CB1 receptors, then your body's like, hey, uh, that's not normal. Let's try to fix that. So then to do that, it uh, lowers the levels of those CB1 receptors. So you have fewer of them around. There's also another mechanism. Um, that it uses it's the expression um and then also oh it de- it it changes the way that it activates along the pathway so a decrease in the ability of the receptor to activate the further pathways so it changes mm-hmm. the expression and then also changes how the pathways activated 
So if you're, you know, a stoner and then you just say, hey, I'm going to quit cold turkey, which is fine. It's just kind of rough. That's why you're going through. If you're going through that right now, that's why you're going through that because you're not only are you having to clear the THC out of your fat cells. So mm-hmm. even those first few days, you still have a ton of THC in your system because you're it's being released from your fat that was stored there. And so you're still it's going to take a while for that to stop happening. And then at the same time, your brain and all the other cells that have the CD1 receptor are learning how to get, how to modify the levels of those receptors and the signaling of those receptors to deal with the new levels of THC in your system. And so that's why it just takes time and patience. And um, that's sort of why I started running. (laughs) So like your podcast inspired me to start running because i was like i remember that runner's high and i think that could help (laughs) yeah yeah. so that's 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 just part of the process of getting off i mean any drug you'd have some sort of thing but it's just it kind of makes me i mean we didn't know this stuff when i was in high school this is all stuff that was discovered since so i can't really get mad at my health teacher for not teaching me this but i wish i had known it then because if i had known these facts i probably would have been a lot more careful yeah with weed and i mean another thing as well is you know a lot of a lot of the research in regards to thc affecting um our brain or just body in general it's still very early in stages you know there's not much research out there but um you mentioning earlier the hippocampus and the whole um kind of a memory right so i found a similar stage and i'm just going to read the last bit perhaps just kind of a share the actual effects rather than um, shared the time the need to be the details so um as people age they lose neurons in hippocampus which decreases their ability to learn new information right um chronic thc exposure may hasten age-related loss of hippocampal neurons so in one study and that was done in rats rats exposed to thc every day for eight months approximately 30 percent of their lifespan show the level of nerve cell loss at 11 to 12 months of age that equaled that of unexposed animals twice their age. So, wow. Yeah, so that's really shocking. Um, and that's that's one of the studies, I think. I mean, I've got some more studies over here, but they're very, very, very detailed and very, um, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like a lot of our listeners will probably be um, – you know, questioning what what sort of information we're passing around, but um, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. You know, and I think a lot of people realize this after a month or two months of quitting when you're short memory and you can actually tell what you've been doing last two weeks, right? <laughs> you know, don't remember. You know, and and yeah, it's kind of crazy because you don't exactly you don't think about those things when you yeah. when you're smoking. Neither when you started first time smoking, it's not it's not on your on your mind hey this is what might happen you know yeah i mean that's why i was afraid of doing all those other drugs because i like i value my brain you know Mm -hmm. i I wouldn't um yeah if i knew what i knew now i probably would uh not tried it even in the first place but yeah (laughs) i can't do that but i mean yeah it is it is helping though i mean if you're still smoking it's probably just like like we were talking about kind of triggering that emotional response, like, and you just want to dismiss any data that tells you you're hurting yourself. 
but as like someone who is quitting and trying to stay motivated to actually, you know, have this be the last time I ever go through weed withdrawal is hearing that um really makes me motivated. I'm like, why would I want to put that in my brain? And, you know, why would I do that to myself? I, now that I know it, um, even, and even the things that I was getting from it, um, it's like escaping, like that's, that's not what I want. I don't want to escape my life. You know, I want to live it. I want, even the bad parts are part of living. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I got through a hard time with it. And honestly, in the end, if that's what it took for me to like realize it was a problem and eventually with a lot of effort quit for good, um, that's fine. But it, you know, I wish I hadn't done it in the first place, but here's, here's where I am and I don't want to do it ever again. (laughs) Oh, another thing I did want to talk about the sleep because that is, um, Oh yeah, you mentioned this um, early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, probably people, you've talked about it with other people on your podcast, how like you get insomnia when you quit weed often. And then when you do sleep, you get like crazy dreams Mm -hmm. often. And I, I, I've had that even the the other time I quit, uh, I was also taking melatonin. I think melatonin makes your dreams a little crazy too. So I was like taking melatonin while quitting weed. I had some crazy nightmares. But basically, when you're smoking weed to go to sleep, your um, rapid your REM sleep is lowered. You have less REM sleep, and like your eye movement is less. And I don't know if this is the same with everyone else who's like a total stoner. But like I, if I was smoking weed a lot, I wouldn't remember my dreams at all. Like. For many years, yeah. So it's been, yeah. There's been there's been quite a lot of research done on this, and you know, when you are smoking actively, you are not dreaming. So that part of your brain is not activated. Um, so yeah, it's it's really interesting um, because I think, I mean, I don't know the details, but I think that the re REM cycle is not fully completed as well. I think there is some effect on the cycle as well. Um, but yeah, you don't you don't dream at all. That's why so many people, when they quit the first week, they're kind of like, "Holy shit, I'm dreaming! <laughs> what is going yeah. on?" You know? And I the, forgot how yeah. powerful. Like I didn't because I hadn't dreamed for so long. I forgot like how what you consume, like what your brain consumes in terms of content before you go to sleep, can show up in your dreams. So I was like, kind of binge watching the sh- TV show You on Netflix, yes, yeah, which is yeah. like. Kind of really super dark, and then I like had this dream about like getting attacked by a murderer. I'm like, I didn't even like, I hadn't even thought about that for years because like I wouldn't dream no matter what I was looking at before I went to sleep. You know? Yeah, 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 but, yeah. And and I just um like REM is important, you know. It, like I knew, and that's especially once I like a year ago I had been sober for a couple months, and I was getting natural sleep and I felt so much better and I was able to concentrate at work. And it's like REM is important. Like deep sleep is important for more like restorative, especially your body. But REM is important for like processing information, consolidating information, um, concentration, emotional processing, and 
especially for like babies for brain development. Of course, mm-hmm. hopefully no one's getting their baby high. But, um, <laughs> although if, if you smoke weed around your baby, it might be enough. Like, you know, you definitely. Yeah, there's been, um, there's been evidence of um, what they call this, the second, uh, second hand or third hand. Is that it? Second hand exposure? Yeah, so there's yeah. been evidence of that. Um, but again, I don't, I don't know the the details. So. Yeah, um, so I'm just excited to get my normal REM sleep back and like actually be able to like process information normally. I mean, I think that's probably a part of that's who knows, you know, how, it, it's all, it's very complicated, but like probably that might be a factor in the memory issues with you know when we're smoking weed a lot, like why we can't remember things is. We're also not getting REM sleep, which is part of how mm-hmm. I mean, we don't really understand sleep that well. But from what we do understand, it is important for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Samantha, kind of coming to the end of the podcast, so I did want to plug in your blog here because I, I know you started your blog. Um, but I'm curious a little bit as well. What was the reason behind starting your blog? Was just the accountability itself? Um, or is there any bigger plans there if you wanted to share a little bit more but definitely share how people can reach you on your blog and perhaps how can they follow your journey okay so um, the website is weedfreeme.substack.com so I'm happy to have any more people reading it currently I have like four readers so because I I don't know like I don't want to share it with my regular identity and i don't i actually think social media is also an addiction so i don't want to yeah. like make a social media just to share I, I actually don't really have social media at all anyways but i don't want to make one just to get the word out so thank you so much for <laughs> having me on just um but yeah i i think a big part of it was accountability but also like i was googling like okay i think you know, I need some to hear some other people's stories. Luckily, there is your podcast. So I was able to find one, you know, active podcast with quite a bit of episodes that I could binge watch and uh, help me for especially that first few weeks. But I was just kind of surprised at how little, um, yeah, information. I mean, you maybe. I just, I'm not on social media, like I said. So you were saying there's a lot more stuff coming out, which is great. I just felt like it was a good, um, a good thing to do for myself, but also for others. Like basically, um, if anyone's read Atomic Habits, he talks in that, in the very beginning of that book about how the most important step for habit change before you even start to worry about like uh, hacking the habit loop is like, changing your identity to identify with that new person that you're tr- you you're not even trying to be you are that that's how you can like become that so that's why i i thought it would be a good idea like look i'm writing a it's literally a blog called we free me like i can't smoke weed i don't i don't care that it's my you know it's a party and someone arses it to me or you know whatever i had a horrible day and I'm feeling terrible and like this is the situation where previously I would have used it as a trigger to smoke weed. Like mm-hmm. I I'm my four readers are counting on me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean you're mentioning my podcast and you know how many episodes there are. So 
I'll give you a little bit of background info so you understand how this all unveiled and you understand where I was, right? So I my, did my first recording January 2021. And then I didn't do anything until April 2020, same year. And then June and then July. And then I actually released first few episodes on 3rd of November 2021. By 2nd of February, I think... At, at that point, I had about thirteen episodes, I think, from November until until oh, February. Wow. Um, by second of February, I had thirty thirteen people listening. So that's it. That's it. Nothing much. So you know, it's it's a slow process, and the the reality is like this whole idea that perhaps weed is not what it what we were told it was. You know, it's still very fresh. Um, like I said, I I don't know. I, maybe it's just I'm more because obviously what you search it then goes and you know the filter it filters on Facebook and on Twitter and whatnot. Obviously that all affects. But maybe because what I search, I see more of new creators and more of new people kind of you know expressing and sharing their stories of how they got away from weed. But yeah, I feel like the the tide is turning a little bit. And you know when you when you shared your blog with me, I was so happy because. I've been trying to do this for so long. Like I've been trying to shout to people, do something, like go out there and share it because your story is the one that matters, right? If you're not going to do your story, if you're just going to, I mean, and I don't, I, I don't want to make this sound a condescending way, but if you're just going to quit and move on, like someone else might not benefit from what you went through, you know? Yeah. And when I, you know, when I first started doing this, I wasn't even thinking about helping people coaching i just wanted to get perhaps the story out there and i was a little bit selfish as well i wanted to explore it a little bit i wanted to know it better you know but going through this and then kind of seeing the podcast taking off and more people listening i realized hey there's nothing out there really and it's still very fresh so i absolutely encourage your decision and i absolutely um you know uh i really um hope anyone listening goes to your blog and, and subscribes because we need more of this. We need more information out there. We need more personal information, own stories, like the one that actually matters, not just some leaflets where it's like, hey, marijuana might not be the best choice for you. Um, yeah. Why not give the actual information? Hey, this is what happens if you do go and, and, and continue smoking, you know, rather than just... Because let's be honest, everyone knew that. Like we, I was told in my... You know, in my high school, hey, marijuana is not the best choice, but you're not going to die if you're going to use it, right? But that's that doesn't stop you from using it, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely support your uh, decision. And that was that was a huge re- reason as well, because I don't know if you knew, but recently I stopped um, kind of interviewing people that are not in my program, or just people that I've randomly met <laughs> over the internet. Um, <laughs> but when we went back and forth, I, I absolutely... I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's, um, yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I think especially like as humans, you know, when we hear a personal story, mm-hmm. you know, we, we like narratives. We like char- yeah. hearing, you know, getting to know a person, mm-hmm. hearing their stories, seeing them struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why your podcast was so helpful because you had all those interviews and hearing other people who went through what I was going through and that's sort of why I wanted to share because it's like hard as someone who's like, you know, I feel like 
I should be smarter than having been a stoner for 10 years, just about. Um, but I was. And, you know, the more other people that feel like me, like, oh, God, how could I have gotten myself in this position? I'm, you know, I, I like, I, for example, I actually want to do one other plug because I love her podcast. And honestly, you can just transfer everything that she says about, well, not everything, because there's some stuff that's specific science about alcohol, but the podcast Silver Powered, that really helped me too, because um, she was a scientist. And uh, say this again, what was the, what's the podcast called? Silver Powered. Okay. Mm-hmm. I see. I- so, um, She's a scientist too, so that's why it was really inspiring to me because, yeah, as like a scientist, like you kind of feel, I mean, we all, addicts all feel ashamed, but I think as a scientist who like, I felt like I really should know better, you know, <laughs> that I shouldn't have gotten myself in that position, but it it helped so much to hear someone else's story. And so she was definitely kind of an in- inspiration to me too, just kind of like, hey, I'm not the only scientist who did the this and like, you know, maybe if I tell my story, there's probably someone else out there who will benefit from it and feel less ashamed and more hope. Yeah. Um, because ashamed doesn't get you anywhere. You need hope and you need to just keep trying because I don't know. I kept trying, you know, I felt like a failure, but I kept trying and eventually I got there. So even if you have to... um Maybe that's part of the process for some of us, you know, that we have to fail for a while. And so we, I mean, what, what is that? It's hard because with weed, there's the rock bottom. It's not like, you know, with a lot of other things where you hear like AA stories or, you know, rock bottom can be pretty terrible. With weed, your rock bottom is not like necessarily yeah. <laughs> as, as horrible. But, you know, a- after all that, trying and trying and trying eventually i think that's sort of what it was is you know that's my version of rock bottom just mm-hmm. complete frustration with myself and determination to not have to do this ever again yeah 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 absolutely and i agree with you i think you know the problem i mean the problem weed is just one of those drugs that it's not going to kill you it's not going yeah. to perhaps massively affect you know your overall performance and and you know but it will it will isolate people. It will slowly, really slowly, you know, take away your confidence. It will give you lots of anxiety if you continue doing so, even you know that it affects you. And it's it's almost like this slow, very parasitic killer. And that's why that's why I think it's much more subtle than any other drug there out there, and much more dangerous than any drug in that regard. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's sort of like. The I don't know <laughs> it, I'm I'm an '80s kid, so uh, the movie The Princess Bride was big. I watched that like a million times when I was a kid, and there was like that machine, and you would turn on the machine and like drain years of your life away. So that's sort of how I think of it. Like it's like, okay, do I want to go drain another five years of my life away? Where even if you're not like dying you're just not living you yeah, know exactly and that's yeah that's spot on yeah exactly that's a very very good way of looking at it you're not dying but you're not living that's, yeah and i think that's how that's how i think we should end this podcast um samanda it was absolute pleasure to have you on for anyone listening uh please share your blog again so they know how to find you uh weed free me 
www.substack.com. So come check it out. I have a lot of posts and I uh, would be happy to hit the 10 <laughs> followers mark. So maybe you can be number 10 if there's six more people that join from this podcast. That's it. All right, everyone. Let's <laughs> Thank get you so much. <laughs> let's get Samantha's number up to 10 at least. Um, Samantha, thanks so much for sharing your story, for um, sharing some of the science behind as well. Um, this was another episode of My Last Joint Podcast. My name is Sanjay. Don't forget about our live event, which is now happening on the 22nd of May rather than on the 15th. Um, it's still happening. We're just delaying it for one week. And I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out.